Well, I'm moving into the church, so uh, be prepared for that. Just starting one piece of furniture at, the, at a time, I think. Uh, totally kidding. We already have a tunnel. I don't need to move into the church. Uh, well, good morning. How are you guys? Good. I hope, I hope that's true. Um, I have a question to start out this morning. How many of you guys love sharks? Anybody? Anybody a freak about sharks? Okay, I got a couple. How many of you are terrified of sharks? Yeah, um, I have a picture of a shark this morning. Look at that. Homeboy is sitting crisscross applesauce right next to the shark. Like, let's just appreciate that for a second. Um, but sharks are like these beautiful, amazing, terrifying creatures, aren't they? Uh, I love looking at them. My favorite room at the Denver Aquarium is the shark room, right? Because they like swim under your feet and all those things. And sharks are fascinating. Uh, did you know that over half of the American population is terrified of sharks? 51% actually. And some of you guys are like, for good reason. Um, uh, actually, 38% of Americans refuse to get into the ocean just because they exist. 38%. Which, like, it makes sense. They're terrifying. Have you seen their teeth? Uh, I have a picture of it, uh, of those teeth for you. Look at those! Okay, an average great white shark will go through 35,000 teeth in their lifetime. 35,000! You and I get a couple dozen, if we're lucky, you know? <laughs> they cycle through 35,000, and that's just one shark. Okay? Uh, and they're, they're, they're absolutely terrifying. In fact, um, did you know that shark embryos, when they are still embryos, and the first one grows teeth, they will start eating their younger brothers and sisters who don't have teeth. Yeah, they actually coined the term of interuterine cannibalism. They're scary from day one, folks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and did you know that what the mushy stuff between their teeth is actually called? Slow swimmers. <laughs> I got you, I got you, I had to. Uh, <laughs> but they are fascinating, uh, so much so that we have an entire week dedicated to sharks on the Discovery Channel. Shark Week. Um, and I was watching a couple clips this week preparing for the sermon, and I was watching some, some clips from this show called The Island of the Mega Shark, which is a place I never want to find myself, if we can agree on that. Um, but they took this guy and they lowered him into the ocean next to sharks in a cage. Now, personally, I don't think the walls and the windows at the Denver Aquarium are thick enough. Uh, let alone lowering me into the open ocean in something that looks like what I dry my dishes in, okay? Uh, that just doesn't sound like fun. But, but they lower this man into this cage, into the ocean, and he's eye level with these sharks. And the narrator comes over and he says, we've lowered him in because we're looking today for a sexually mature female shark. And they were looking at great white sharks. I have a picture of a great white shark. And they say, we're looking for a sexually mature female shark. And he says, you can tell which ones are sexually mature just by looking at them. And for a hot minute, I got really offended for that shark. I was like, you do not know that shark. And then he continues on to say, and this is a picture of a female shark. He says, you can tell by the sides and the gills they are about 
of scars. And this is pretty crass, but the narrator goes on to say that floating in open ocean, the males have to hold on somehow. And he, he said, luckily, females' skin are thicker, which we already knew, but whatever. Um, but he said, luckily, they're thicker. And then he said a statement that I just cannot get past. He said, scars mean sex. Scars mean sex. And that, that statement shattered my heart. Because in the world that we live, live in, scars often mean sex. Oftentimes, when we see smoke, we also know that there's a fire somewhere. And in the world that we live in, when we see scars, oftentimes we see sex. And, and I think about all the people in my life that this rings true to. I think of the girl that was assaulted in a car by someone she trusted. Scar. The boy who watched pornography at an early age. Scar. The man who had to tell his family about a sex addiction. Scar. Marriages divided over the swipe of a screen. Scar. And so much of the world we live in, scars mean sex. Uh, one out of four girls and one out of six boys are victims of sexual abuse before the age of 18. As an adult, one in three women and one in six men experience sexual violence in their lives. And in a world where scars and sex are often synonymous, how do we live with any sort of hope? How do we live like Jesus? Now, I don't know where this hits you today, and I don't know what you resonate with when I talk about the shark and the scars. But I know that for us, there's a lot of us that say, that's how my life has been. And so before we head into today's topic, I just want to pray for some comfort and some peace to just come and minister to your hearts while we talk. And rest assured, the rest I have to say is full of hope and full of restoration. So Lord Jesus, we ask that, that for many of us who have said that scars and sex are synonymous, Lord Jesus, that you would minister directly into the depths of our hearts. Lord, that you would help us to not place guards up. Lord, but for a minute, be vulnerable enough to welcome in your hope and your restoration. I pray those things in the name of Jesus, trusting that you can do these things. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So there was a woman in Scripture that would have agreed that scars meant sex. Uh, her name was Rahab. Can you say Rahab with me? Rahab. And that's just like a, that's not one of my like top baby names, you know, <laughs> Rahab. But uh, turn with me to Joshua chapter 2. And while you get there, I'll give you some context. In Joshua chapter 2, we find the Israelites, and they have wandered through the desert for 40-some years, and they are sitting at the very edge of the promised land. So, so the whole reason that they're out wandering, they finally find the goal. And this was quite a letdown moment for them, because when they get to the promised land, the land that, Jesus pro or that God promised to them, there's people living in it. <laughs> You know, when I think of promised land, I think of like the sound of music, you know, I think of like rolling hills and wonderful, but they show up and there's already people living there. And so 
Moses is dead by this time, and Joshua is the leader, and he sends two spies in to kind of scope out Jericho. So uh, Joshua 2, verse 1, it says, Then Joshua, the son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim, which is very easy to mispronounce. Um, Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they, so they entered and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Which, like, time out, okay? Time out. You've been in the desert for 40 years. You have been punished. You have been blessed. You have been dependent on God. You leave the Israelite nation, and you go stay with a woman who sells sex. This seems a little uh, suspicious at best. And then it goes on to say, it says, uh, verse 2, the king of Jericho was told, look, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. So not only is this suspicious, but can I just admit, these are the worst spies ever, okay? Um, Jericho is about six acres big, so for our conversation, about six football fields big. And they enter, and the second that they do, somebody knocks on the king's door. He's like, hey, there's some spies. And I think it's pretty gracious for the Bible to even call them spies, honestly. Um, I don't know where they got their training. I think where's Waldo could have done better than this, but whatever. Uh, but, but the guards knock on Rahab's door, and they deliver this message. They say, surrender those men that came to your house. They've come to spy out the land. And Rahab, she has a decision to make. She says, what do I tell them? And, and I love this. She goes, actually, I had no idea who they were, but they went that way. And he said, she says, run that way, and maybe you can catch them. Go that way and find them. And the guards, they run that way. And they go try to find them. And all the while, the two men are staying in her house. He actually, they actually put them on the roof and covered them with straw. And I think to myself, why would you do this? These two strangers, like your house has had plenty of strangers in it. Why would you protect these two guys? Well, keep reading. It says, And she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. She says, I know who you are. She even goes on to say, I know who your God is, and I want in. Verse 12, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord, that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to me, and that you will save us from death. See, reality is, is that Rahab felt trapped. She felt trapped in her lifestyle. And you know how I know that? Because women still do today. There was a recent study that said 90% of people working in the sex industry want to get out desperately, but lack the means to do it. She felt trapped, and she said, this is my ticket out of here. Look, trust, swear to me that when you guys come through and you destroy it, that we're safe. And what happens next is beautiful. They give her this red rope, and they tell her to tie it into her window, and when they come and they circle around Jericho, 
They circle around Jericho, and her house is built inside of the wall. And so they circle around Jericho, and the trumpets sound, and the wall crumbles. And one woman, whose decisions were shady at best, survives. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron and the treasury in the Lord, or for, of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And catch this, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. Rahab goes on to marry a guy named Salmon, and he is the son of Judah's military army, and she becomes part of the Israelites. And you might be thinking like, okay, Lindsay, this is great, but what does this have to do with my romantic life? What does this have to do with my marriage? What does this have to do with sex? What does this have to do with any of that? And I would say, take heart, because there is a boatload of hope in this story. Uh, there is a serious amount of redemption in this story. And for those of us that resonate with the shark, that, that sex means scars, listen to Rahab. The first truth that we find in this story is that, look at me in my eyes, your best days are still ahead of you. Your best days are still ahead of you. I promise you that. I'm talking to the single folks without any plans. I'm talking to the dating folks with big plans. I'm talking to the married folks that forgot the plans, okay? I'm talking to all of you guys. <laughs> your best days are still ahead of you. Turn to your neighbor. You just say that. Your best days are still ahead of you. Just go ahead. Go ahead. Do it. Your best days are still ahead of you with conviction. Your best days are still ahead of you. And I think as a church, we focus our conversation on one thing. We focus it on virginity. And like, it's wonderful, and it's amazing, and we should praise that. Like, this whole devotion of promising the Lord that you're going to wait until he fulfills his promise, that's beautiful. But I think that we focus so much on that and praise it so much that we end up leaving out a huge section of people that say, I've already crossed that. You know, that conversation's really good if you haven't made any decisions, but what, of, what about those of us who have? who have walked down that path. Maybe you sit in this room hopeless, thinking, what does this have to do with me? You know, I've already given my V-card away, and I ain't talking about Valentine's. You know, what does this have to do with me? What, what do I have to give? Now, when my life has been wrecked with mistakes, with coulda, woulda, shouldas, what do I have to offer? And I would tell you this, you cannot change your past but you can give God your present. You cannot change your past, but you can give God your present. Listen, I wish that I could remove the hurt of your life. I wish I could hire a hitman and go find all those people that hurt you. All right? I wish that I had an eraser big enough to get rid of those memories. I wish that there was a dumpster big enough for all of our regrets. I wish that like Men in Black style with a flashlight that removes your memories, I wish I could just hold that light up and we would forget all the things that hurt us. I wish that the mistakes of our past didn't have consequences that followed us when we committed our lives to Christ. I wish all of those things. 
And as much as I can't do that, I can promise you this, that when you trust God with your present, your best days are still to come. When you trust God with your present, your best days are ahead of you. Look at Rahab. Rahab goes on to Mary Salmon, and Rahab, man, Joshua, like if you look at this Bible, Joshua is right here, okay? And Rahab somehow has the ability to show up over here in the Bible. It's funny. She has this funny way of showing up in the New Testament. Uh, Hebrews 11. This is the hall of faith and this is showing great faith. And the writer of Hebrews just wants to show you characters that have amazing faith. Of all the people that he lists, he lists two women. Sarah, the mother of Isaac, the mother of faith. And verse 31, it was by the faith that Rahab, the prostitute, was not destroyed when the people in the city who refused to obey her. James. James goes on, and he lists people that are full of faith, and he lists two Old Testament characters, Abraham, the father of faith, and Rahab, the former prostitute. Your best days are still ahead of you. Matthew 1, it lists Jesus' relatives, and it lists prophets and leaders and inspirations and people that have inspired and followed God wholeheartedly. And amongst all that list, Rahab, the former prostitute. Listen, Jesus died on the cross with former prostitute blood pumping in his veins. That is our God. Your best days are still ahead of you. Your best days are still ahead of you when you trust God with your present. When, when you trust God and have the faith to follow his instructions on how to treat your spouse. Your best days are still ahead of you. Uh, your best days are still ahead of you when you are single and you trust in the identity that God has given you. Your best days are still ahead of you when you are dating and you trust in God's timing. Your best days are still ahead of you when you trust God with your present. And the enemy would love for you to think that they're not. He would love for you to think that you are too far gone, that God only restores your soul, but doesn't bother with your marriage or your purity or your life. Listen, he is a liar. He is a thief. He is a killer, and he will use whatever means necessary. He will come at you with your self-conscious behavior, with your insecurities, with your doubts that your best days are still ahead of you. He will tell you that you are too far gone, that you are too broken, and that you are not worth saving. And it's a lie. Which leads to our next point. It is never, say that with me, never too late for Jesus to be on the throne. It's never too late for Jesus to be on the throne. Um, in history, there's this, this history of a hope chest. And what would happen is that when, when parents would have a little girl, they would buy her or purchase or make a hope chest. Now, my grandpa Marvin actually built this for me, um, and he's with Jesus now, so it means a lot to me. Um, but this hope chest was, was built, and he carved my name in it. And the tradition of hope chests is that you give them to your girls, and, and the girls fill this hope chest with things that they're going to need someday. 
And I love this picture because you get this image of parents going to the market and seeing something and saying, oh, Sarah's going to love that someday, and putting it into the hope chest. And then what would happen is that the dowry, the payment that was made for the groom to take the bride, would be placed in this hope chest. And then the parents would take the hope chest and they would carry it in to wherever the married couple was going to be living. And they'd place it at the foot of their bed. Now I got a couple folks to talk to this morning. So if you don't re resonate with the first one, I promise you will with the second. If you have not put anything in your hope chest, I implore you, only fill it with stuff that you want sitting at the, the base of your marriage bed someday. Um, don't fill it with things. Don't, don't fill it with like pages and pages and pages of text messages sent to strangers. Don't fill it with that night that you made that mistake. Don't fill it with the credit card debt that you've been racking up. Don't fill it with that mistake. Don't fill it. Oh, this is going to get personal here. Don't fill it with selfie after selfie after selfie sent to strangers that you would not want to even look in the eyes again. Don't fill it. Don't fill it with credit card debt. Don't fill it with. And here we go. Don't fill it with Valentine's Day past where you made a decision just so you had somebody. Don't fill it with the broken relationships. Don't fill it with relationship after relationship that has torn away at your soul. Don't fill it with that. Don't fill it with anything that you don't want sitting at the foot of your bed. Now, now this is some of us. But for a lot of us, maybe we say, there's a lot of junk in my trunk already. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff in there. Uh, for a lot of us, we resonate with the shark and we say, there's a lot of things that I have already filled my hope chest with. And to that I would tell you that there is still hope. Exodus 25, uh, God calls the Israelites to have a chest like this, a hope chest. And he says, fill it with all of your biggest mistakes. Fill it with the rod of Moses that you rebelled against. Fill it with the Ten Commandments that you disobeyed. Fill it with the bread that you complained about in the desert. And then he says, carry it around with you. And it's called the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant is the mercy seat. And priests would go in to the Holy of Holies, to the Ark of the Covenant, and they would put sacrifices on top of their biggest mistakes. And then Jesus enters in on the scene. In Hebrews 11, it talks about it. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest, Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. 
And he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Meaning that when God, when Jesus died for you and he ascended into heaven, you know where he went? That when God looks at your life, when he looks at your past mistakes, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see whatever's in the box. He doesn't see the failures. He doesn't see the regret. He looks down, and Jesus is sitting there like, what up, Dad? (laughs) When God looks down at your life, of what's in your box, of the monster you think you have become, of the things that you have done, he doesn't see you, he sees Christ. Uh, Colossians says that we are hidden in Christ's sacrifice. And I get this beautiful picture where Jesus himself, he covers our greatest hopes and our greatest doubts. And he sits on the box. Listen, God is not afraid of what is in the hope chest. God is not afraid of sharks, and he's not afraid of what has been placed in here. He has come to offer redemption. And you know what? The enemy would love to rub your face in whatever is in this box. Would love to stick your nose in it. Would love to continue to bring it up, to continue to open it. But you know the only reason, the only way that the enemy can do that is by dethroning Jesus himself. And we do that Sometimes we say, Lord, you don't, you don't have this part of my life. And we fall for the lie. This morning, the hope is that scars don't have to mean sex. That whatever is in your past does not have to keep you from a beautiful future. And that Christ, in his power, in his timing, he covers it all. Now, I don't know where this hits you this morning. Maybe you say, yeah, there are some mistakes that I have made. I looked at that screen and I shouldn't have. Uh, I, I went to that date and I shouldn't have. I wish that I didn't do that. I said that thing to my spouse that I can't take back. We're going to offer a time to physically respond to this. And what that looks like is I've placed some index cards over on the altar. And I want to invite you into this time of worship uh, to come down to the altar to maybe write some things on the card and toss them in the box. Um, I'm not going to look at them or read them or post them on Facebook or nothing. I'm just going to destroy them. And I would hope that in this act that we would commit and know in the deepest part of who we are that Christ has covered it. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, This is a difficult topic. God, because we have lived difficult lives. Lord, we have felt ashamed in your presence at times. We have felt unworthy at others. God, I think it's so beautiful that you chose our failures to be your throne. Lord, that you would crush the enemy. 
Lord, that you would diminish his power. Jesus, for those of us in this room that say, I need to have my purity restored. Lord, I have, I have a long list of things that's in my hope chest. God, I have mistakes. I have divorce papers. God, I have credit card debt. I have things that I wish that I could take back. Jesus, I pray that you would give us the courage to place them in your throne. To place them underneath you and trust you with those biggest hurts. Father God, we love you so much. And we are grateful that you are a God that came down from heaven so that we don't have to carry these things any longer. Jesus, I pray for redemption and restoration in this room. It's in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen.